0: Welcome to this episode of Maritime Software. My name is Callum Beaumont, uh, the host of the show and also the founder of the recruitment agency that powers the podcast, uh, we're called Cordell Beaumont um, and we specialize in the kind of the maritime and supply chain and kind of trade uh, software and data um, arena essentially finding kind of sales, marketing, product management, and, and typical kind of go-to-market type of hires. Um, so today, I'm really excited to be joined by an old kind of contact of mine that I've known since my kind of broken days and things. Um, it's Kate Balanu. So Kate uh, has got a really interesting background f- from shipbroking, spent time obviously she's from Greece and from the Philippines, and, and spends a lot of her time and passion um, creating projects and courses associated with the well-being and the welfare of crews and seafarers um, and kind of really helping businesses and ship owners um, essentially trying to help that connectivity between ship and shore in terms of kind of creating um, cohesion between uh, different cultures and and, and, and diversity and inclusion. So we're going to talk all about that uh, shortly and we're going to discuss how technology can help um, improve that communication and, and that uh, understanding of multicultural sort of uh, crew and seafarers uh, f- for different kind of fleets and things. So I hope you enjoy. Please do remember to follow the, uh, the podcast on our different channels and, and subscribe to us on YouTube if you're one of our viewers. Um, really appreciate you tuning in each, each, uh, for each episode and uh, I look forward to catching up again soon. Thank you. Hi Kate, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hello there, thank you for having me.
0: No, you're very, very, welcome. I know we've been kind of speaking back and forth for, for years now, since you're kind of broken days and things. So it's a real pleasure to see how, first of all, how well you've kind of come along and, and, and the journey you've been on uh, since, since the broken time. So yeah, really excited to have you on the, the show today and to learn a bit more about your current projects. So, thank you so um, much. I know you're very welcome. And why don't you start by obviously introducing yourself, um, tell us a little bit about who, who you are and, and, and what sort of projects you're working the, on at the moment
1: absolutely um so my name is kate i am currently based in athens in my home country in greece and i'm an intercultural communication and behavior training trainer for the maritime industry now as you mentioned my background is quite complex and i've been in various positions and different industries as well uh, but my focus right now is helping organization bridge the gaps that naturally exist because of the nature of our industry. Uh, so what I do is uh, I provide either bespoke training programs or um, some kind of workshops or presentations to organizations that meet their challenges and their specific needs.
0: Excellent. No, no and it sounds like, um, I mean, I can see obviously the the courses you've been preparing and, and, and the, the different TED talks and, and things you've got going on uh, I saw you featured as I think was it one of the top hundred influential kind of business startups females in 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 the world I say I saw is
1: that right uh, there have been a couple of fleece there and I'm honored to be included of course
0: brilliant no, good okay so so, so you, you obviously, you, you. sounds like you've, you've been in a number of different countries and lived in a different um, bases and things. So, how did you first hear about shipping? Was it through family or, or some sort of introduction?
1: Um, I think that's a very common, let's say, start in the Greek culture, having someone in the maritime industry within the family. So, I had my stepfather and both of my siblings working in the industry, and I was actually the last one from the family to join. Oh, wow. Okay.
0: Yes. Same for me. I, I probably would never have heard about shipbroking if it wasn't for my, my grandfather and, and my mum mm. both being brokers and things. So it sort of uh, right. yeah, nat- naturally transitioned into that way myself. So, um, yeah, I think that's very common, as you say, but uh, really exciting to, to learn a bit more about the discussion today. And we're going to talk about how businesses can kind of manage kind of multicultural crew and mm-hmm. shore-based personnel um, and we're going to learn a bit from, from you about how, how best to kind of practice is to to streamline that, to make sure um, the different sort of cultures and different sort of personnel on board ships and are kind of um, their needs and wants and, and their mental well-being is, is kind of focused on it and, and people mm. higher up in the food chain are a bit more kind of aware of things. So um, hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll dive into a, a lot around that sort of subject. Yeah, um, I,
1: I really like the word that you use the phrase, the mental well-being. I think we we do need to focus on that. So everything should lead to ensuring that uh, maritime professionals, whether they're office space or seafarers, um, are provided with a safe space.
0: Definitely. Yeah, and I think, so from our angle on the tech, tech recruitment side for shipping, uh, I, I think the whole aspect of communication and connectivity is, is the, the big driver that can Facilitate that kind of flow of information between the crew and the the um, the, the shore based team. So it's, it's it's really interesting to have your perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so why don't you tell us before we kind of move on to that that sort of subject a bit more about your courses and uh, how you're getting on with those? Because it's uh, I know you sort of started up and and um, it looks like you've been doing really well. So yeah, just share a bit more about those.
1: Absolutely. Okay. So in in general, what I do is I offer bespoke programs to its organization. I do believe that each organization is unique and they do have, let's say, different challenges, different goals, and different dynamics within their teams. So I my main focus is how can I develop something that meets every need of that organization? Now, I've developed a course and that was the, let's say, the result of various or endless conversations that I've held with um, maritime stakeholders because I identified specific challenges when it comes to having a diverse um, crew and having a diverse uh, office-based personnel when they're working together. Uh, there are challenges that we, what we need to identify and that we need to basically find solutions for in order for people to perform better, to feel that they are included within an organization and that was what i tried to develop with the course so the course is provided online because we want people from every country to be able to attend so it's not in person and it's mostly for leaders um, office-based leaders who either lead diverse groups or work with diverse groups um, and when i When I say leaders, I think it's important to mention the fact that we need to have that experience of uh, working and leading people who come from different cultures than us because the challenges are different. Um, As you understand, it's different when you are a team member and you have to collaborate with someone. And then different challenges um, arise when you actually have to be that person who motivates a group of people towards a common goal. So the training that I have developed is focused on the intercultural challenges that we face in the Martin industry. And we also cover the gender aspect and the generation aspect as well. Um, this is because uh, stakeholders have asked me to help them with bridging the gap that exists between generations. And we see that uh, the younger generation has different values, different priorities, their Basically, their needs are different. So how can we meet their needs um, so we can retain them within the company? And of course, in a way that also makes sense uh, business-wise. So it needs to make sense for the organization. So it's, it's basically ideal for people who... Are responsible for multicultural or multi-generational teams in the maritime organization and um, i think it's really important to highlight the fact that it's not just beneficial for the actual participant of the program uh, it's also beneficial for the whole organization because i developed it in a way that is very similar to a trendy trainer training program so they are being supported And provided with not only the theory of what we're talking about, but also with the tools that they need to have in order to spread that knowledge within the organization so they can train their own teams.
0: Excellent. And how, how are you getting that information from the actual crew themselves? Are you... S- speaking to them when they're kind of on shore and they're kind of on leave or is it you actually have chances to to have i don't know teams or zoom calls with them while they're at sea How, how's that kind of feedback been given to you? Would you i know i appreciate it's probably been over the years of your experience mm. but is there any kind of particular tools you use or tech or, or, or approach that you have
1: Um, I would say it's a combination of, let's say, online forms of communication, whether that's a Zoom call with someone in the company or a Seafair, whether that's an online survey that I actually ran last year to identify the challenges and the needs of uh, the maritime organizations. And then I actually love in-person meetings, I love talking to people in person, so I, I always try to connect with people when I meet them somewhere let's say in a conference I do try to understand them and I think it does make a big difference when someone approaches you in person and they see that you're another person as well so you're not just the person that posts on LinkedIn or that uh, I don't know create a, a training program because they need to understand and they need to feel that you see them as an individual, you see them as a person, and you're trying to really understand what their uh, problems are because it's different to, let's say, write a post and then uh, post it on LinkedIn and people read it and different to see that, you know what, people actually care um, whether that's me or whether that's someone from their organization. So the answers that I get or the feedback that I get, is um, from online interactions, but I always focus on the in-person interaction. I do, I do see that people feel more comfortable when they meet me in person and they feel safe as well to open up. So it's nothing, let's say it's not a recorded interview or it's not an online survey because there, there's always this fear of where, where will this end up? So they, they always have that fear, like I don't want to say yeah. something as an employee and maybe can harm uh, my relationship with my employer. So people do open up a little bit easier when they meet me in person.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And do you sometimes speak to say the crew manager that mm-hmm. almost speaks for their, their team essentially, or, or, or is it more so you speak to actual individuals themselves or, or, or a mixture of both, I perhaps imagine?
1: Um, both but if I if I can think about the percentage I would say uh, a larger percentage is my are my conversations with the actual stakeholders with the managers and yeah, that's that where sense. we face different issues there
0: yes exactly yeah that makes sense because they we'll, we'll get on to this in a moment but that they may yeah. not have necessarily the full picture mm, of, of the of exactly. what is really happening so Interesting. Okay, really good. So, yeah, that sounds really exciting about the courses. And I'll ask you at the end just how Mm -hmm. people can kind of obviously find a bit more information and and look that up. Um, But how would you, talking about technology again, how would you say or or how do you feel technology has advanced kind of the intercultural communication across kind of the sea and shore from what you're seeing? Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, Well, I think that technology has uh, definitely impacted in a positive way, the relationship and the communication, both amongst, uh, let's say, multicultural employees and between office and Vessel. Just the fact that uh, we do have access almost all the times instantly to the internet, and I know that that, that doesn't apply on board the Vessel, uh, but the fact that we have instant access to so much information can actually help make the relationship and the communication and the collaboration, I think, more effective. For example, if we have a question or something that troubles us, we can just Google it and we can find the answer. We have translations, like I can translate something uh, instantly and just copy and paste it. Uh, for example, it was um, Chinese New Year quite recently, and my sister-in-law is from China. So I didn't know how, what, what the appropriate wish is. So I just Googled it and I just copied and pasted the, yeah. the, the wish in Chinese and I sent it's it to her. Kai,
0: Kai Fong, I, I remember we used to always, we send that out as well, something along those lines.
1: So I, I couldn't pronounce it, so I just copied no, and pasted even... so I chose the easy way. And I asked her yeah. then, is that correct? And I said, yes, absolutely. So we can see that um, the, let's say, challenges in communication that existed um, a few years ago can now be eliminated through technology of course we have to have the wheel right like one has to care enough to actually take that step because it might be easy for some of us but for some others it might not be as easy uh, to do so
0: okay yeah that that makes sense i think it all ties back to connectivity better connectivity so People can reach reach out to their loved ones as well, and, and be in mm-hmm. better contact with 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 the shore. It, it seems it will ultimately improve the well being of of the crew. And I imagine if they're they, they they the crew are probably choosing maybe to go on certain voyages if they know a certain ship owner is puts more emphasis and investment in better connectivity and things. I, I would I would have thought.
1: Absolutely. Um, Actually, this is one of the main requirements nowadays. Like, uh, when they ask, when they survey people, what do you what do you want in order to work for a company or to stay in a company for a longer time? And one of the top answers is usually um, connection, uh, internet connection, yeah. um, and of course, the second is whether that's free or not. Uh, but connectivity to with their families, with their loved ones, is one of their main priorities nowadays.
0: I never thought that. I never thought they would have to pay for. I mean, obviously, you pay for the phone call. So I never thought they might have to pay for. Um, crew might have to pay for internet. Mm-hmm. I, I guess that, it makes sense. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. So, so what? Moving on. So, what would you say the common barriers um, that typically kind of block or stop? kind of cohesive values and, and and communication across the sort of shore and, 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 uh, sort of the mariners on, on board vessels.
1: That's a good question. Um, because it's something that I notice, um, happening. I would say it's the lack of understanding from both sides, obviously. Uh, When we have teams working within an organization there are different departments and different, uh, let's say, goals or different KPIs for every team and every team member, obviously. But we need to understand that when we're working for an organization, we should all be on the same page because we're working towards a common goal. And that's where the company culture comes in. Whether that's with their vision and mission, whether that's with uh, different statements that they may have, they need to be able to communicate those effectively amongst their employees, regardless of their department or regardless of uh, their location. It has to have um, an effective communication strategy in order for all people to understand that they're working together so one of um, the main obstacles is that, the, the lack of understanding. Now, whether that's because uh, people may not always have experience in all departments, and actually that, that's the most difficult part to be, let's say, a seafarer, but also have the experience um, working in the office. So, for example, for office-based employees, sometimes they do not understand the the challenges that seafarers face and how difficult or how stressful it can be on board the vessel. Um, of course, they hear about it. Of course, they they read about it, maybe in the email communication or in reports. But it's really, really different than experiencing it yourself or a loved one. Let's say if you had a family member and you were the the person waiting for them, because that was my experience with my stepfather being away. And that was many years ago when, you know, connectivity was not even close to what we have right now. And he would leave for many months and we would never see him uh, during that voice. So there were no voice calls or anything like this. Um, and then from the seafarer side as well, the lack of understanding of the pressures or the, the targets that the, the office personnel have. Um, yeah. So that lack of understanding of each other and creates lack of empathy, and that creates a big gap that we see. And uh, one of the let's say main complaints that I receive from seafarers saying uh, the office people don't understand us. They don't understand how stressful it is. And then the office personnel tell me exactly the same for the seafarers, saying like you know they're only concerned with one vessel, but we have so many vessels to deal with, and so many seafarers. Mm-hmm. So we need to be able. Uh, to first of all accept the fact that there are challenges from both sides and find ways that we can bring them together we can bridge that gap and we can bring them on the same page
0: yeah and that ties me on nicely to the next point about are there any particular best practices you can think of that that you've seen this become successful in terms of kind of managing those different cultures and expectations and nuances of different um, people from different regions, essentially.
1: Yeah. Um, I've worked with a couple of organizations that have uh, strategies in place that we've seen that they have worked really well. So basically, they appoint a group of people, let's say they put together a team, an internal team, and they act like the brokers between the office and the vessel so that team that has been appointed needs to go through a specific training so they need to be aware and very familiar of course with the company culture so what do they stand for what are their goals what what is acceptable and expected within that company specifically Uh, so they're very familiar with that and then we go into more specific training so they are able to support both sides, both the office-based employees, but also the seafarers. So they need to be familiar with the issues that those two teams will approach them for. So they are given the knowledge and the tools to support them. Um, that's, um, That's a big project, but we've seen with the organization that I've partnered with that when it is structured well and we put components of let's say practical issues that they might face so hard skills that they need training for from the internal managers but also soft skills because we see that um, soft skills are very important for the organization and the advancement of their employees when they are when these teams are equipped with the knowledge and the tools that enable them to support the whole organization we see that these let's say people acting as brokers can actually help bridge that gap that exists between different generations different cultures or between office and vessels
0: that's really interesting and do you think that could be a a great career path for someone that's maybe a a retired seafarer or someone a bit later in their career that
1: Maybe mm-hmm. doesn't want to go
0: into a sales role or something something along those lines, and has so much knowledge and insight. Uh, it's a really good, um, absolutely, avenue.
1: absolutely, because they can actually leverage the knowledge and the experience that they have, and they can be the ones that can say, you know, what I am experiencing that not just in theory, but in mm. actual experience, because I have sailed on board the vessel, but I also understand what's going on in the in the organization. So I'm here to help. I'm here to let's say transfer listen to both sides but and also transfer the messages from one to the other
0: yeah that's that's great i hadn't heard of that sort of initial, i'm sure it obviously happens uh, but just something you you kind of maybe not aware of until so you start digging a little bit into the subject um, I,
1: I do i do hope actually because it's uh, it's an internal project so it's within an organization so i do hope more organizations adopt a strategy like this because it is important uh, to to bridge the gaps, to eliminate any, let's say challenge or misunderstanding that may happen.
0: Yeah, I, you, I kind of just in my, well, you kind of think the, the head of crew, the crew managers that are based on the shore kind of facilitating that type of dialogue, mm-hmm. but it, maybe sometimes it isn't uh, always the case. Um, I'm not sure.
1: Okay. Uh, yeah, you're right, Ugh, because it Karen. is part of their job, right? Um, but sometimes we, we see that they are so busy with operational aspects of their, of their job that there is a need to appoint specific people whose main role is to basically deal with these issues.
0: Yeah, and, and I guess part of that is going to be tackling other areas, um, which I know you've spoken about and I've seen in your uh, different articles and presentations you've done around the idea of kind of diversity and inclusion um, mm-hmm. with, with obviously a whole range of different nationals and things. So w- what advice would you give to leaders or are you giving to leaders uh, around the, the sort of the the inclusion piece at the moment?
1: Right. Uh, I'm glad that you mentioned it. And actually, this is something that uh, I keep repeating myself on it, but I I do think it's important. I I did mention it in that TEDx talk that um, creating a diverse team is a great start, but it is not enough. We need to be able to create that sense of safety, that sense of inclusion within our teams. Because imagine if you have a, a diverse team, which is very normal and expected within our industry. So we have a multicultural team, right? But what if one or more than one of uh, the team members do not feel that they are valued equally? What if they feel that they are not respected as much as their colleagues? Then diversity is not enough, right? We need to ensure that we we embrace all of our team members, that regardless of where they come from, regardless of their gender, their generation, regardless of their background or or any other aspect of their identity, we can actually embrace them, we can include them and make them feel welcome. It's really important to to feel welcome, not just part of the team, because we were hired by someone in the company, but we are welcomed by our seniors and by our colleagues. So we need to focus on inclusion, not just diversity. I think diversity in the maritime industry comes very naturally. So whether we like it or not, our teams are always diverse.
0: Yeah. And if there is any kind of, um, I don't know, events that take place on board the vessel or issues that people are um yeah having let's say, for example uh, i mean they may not be communicated to the the shore as as, as we mm. kind of alluded to throughout the whole yes. piece so it's a case of yeah having that channel i guess of communication mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. almost like not not a ticket system but like a way of raising an issue to someone or, or uh, a designated person within mm-hmm. your team to go to uh, mm-hmm. and i'm sure they do have that but i um, i guess maybe some cases they don't as much
1: uh, you know what's happening? Most companies do have a system in place. So whether that's uh, reporting something uh, confidentially, calling the DPA or calling someone that's... Or even going to the captain, right? When you're on border vessel. But yeah. I think the, one of the main challenges that we face in the industry or in my work, let, let's get more specific. The, one of the main challenges that I face when I speak to stakeholders in an organization, is that they are not always aware of the challenges that exist amongst the seafarers or amongst their employees because people believe or feel that something is not important enough to be reported. So these these moments, um, because we say that discrimination happens in those tiny moments of our daily life, the microaggressions that we call them, like a comment, a joke, um, something in the behavior, which is not as big as people might think, uh, that's worth reporting. So these micro moments will shape the way that people feel. Will shape the the environment of whether someone will say, okay, it's a safe environment, or um, it's a safe culture as we try to create. So these micro moments, not microaggressions we usually do not reach the higher, the, the senior people. So when I talk to stakeholders and um, let's say we start discussing about the issues that they face within the organization, a lot of times I see that they are not aware of the challenges that their people are facing. So their responses are different than the responses that um, the CFIRS or their office personnel will report to me. And that's because they are not being reported officially to their seniors, so there is a gap there as well that we're trying to cover and make people make people understand that if it bothers you, it's worth not reporting, but it's worth mentioning so we can tackle it.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And how about I might be off topic here, but how about like with um, from the charter's perspective, like mm-hmm. if there's bit demands from charterers and 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 maybe they're not quite reasonable, depending on obviously what what type of voyage they've got and, and fixtures and things. Um, do they have much uh, un- understanding of what the life is? I'm mean, sure they do, but what's the kind of seafarers' kind of in relationship with a charter or someone that wants to cargoes from quicker all that sort of stuff? Does that impact what we're talking about today in terms of their uh, inclusion and and well being and that type of thing? Does it have a fact or is it mainly that's kind of managed by the the ship owner depending on what type of charter they've got really
1: mm-hmm. um i haven't seen any connection with uh between the charters and let's say the the crew members um <clears throat> because they have a different goal and they have a different let's say job to perform so when we are looking into let's say diversity inclusion where we, when we're talking about how to maximize the productivity of the seafarers and how to make them feel that psychological safety that we're aiming for, it's usually down to the ship owner. It's usually down to the money agent and not so much to the charter because, um, again, their goals are different. So it's, not, it's yeah. not something that they would prioritize.
0: But they could. You could be a big uh, BP or Shell or something or trafficker or whatever. And you could, like on the ESG side or something, when we get vetted, we, we, we apply for tenders to be recruiters for big companies and things. And they ask us, what's our diversity and inclusion policies mm-hmm. and who's our point of contact regarding sustainability, that type of thing. So charterers could say to ship owners, okay, so what's your policy regarding crew welfare, well-being, uh, who's the point of contact for that sort of stuff? And maybe they do, um, I don't know. If that's a, an avenue they would consider, if normal that's maybe.
1: interesting actually, and I'm not quite sure whether that exists within, uh, let's say, uh, an organization, uh, but that's a good approach as well uh, in order to uh, to e- embrace equality because one of the. Uh, steps in a strategy, when we're creating, let's say, a truly diverse and inclusive environment for a company, one of the strategies is, uh, and it's one of the last steps, actually, to have that criteria for the external contractors and the partners and the organization that we partner with to have those, um, let's say, standards to, to check whether they are also diverse, they are also, prioritizing inclusion. So, that's a very good point that you mentioned.
0: Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <Pretty out laughs> the blue. But yeah, I just think it makes sense. But then, I guess, obviously, the charterer ultimately wants to yeah, move their cargo effectively mm-hmm. and safely as possible. But i could see that happening perhaps as yeah. things develop in time
1: there is industry um, pressure right uh, in a positive way for people to for organization not just people to be more inclusive to also check their sustainability goals so there is pressure in the industry to have those standards so we're moving towards the the right direction
0: yeah good okay so I think we covered a lot it's really interesting and, and and definitely something the more I dive into it the more i I, I kind of want to know about um so it's it's good so I'll follow you obviously your 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 discussions you have online and things and last question before I kind of talk about you a bit more about you rather than the sort of courses and things but um with regards to technology um obviously there's language barriers and things uh between crew and shore and and, and even i guess maybe senior managers and things. How is technology helping those language barriers? do you think?
1: I think it goes back to the question that we discussed earlier. um, The fact that we have almost in all cases instant access to so much knowledge can help with the language, uh, let's say, challenge that we may have. Um, Of course, we should not rely 100% on technology because we need to understand that whether we are sending an email, whether we have a call with someone, there is another person behind that screen or behind that phone call, right? So we need to understand that, yes, technology can help us um, close or make those gaps smaller, but we need to put that effort as individuals and not rely 100% that there. So... Um, Although, let's say in the maritime industry, and actually in any industry, we know that English is the spoken language, and we do take it as granted that most people will be able to communicate in English. We also need to be aware that um, we might speak a different version of English, whether we are native speakers or not. So, for example, for native speakers, I'm sure you know as well that, for example, British and American English... Is different the the phrases that we use the idioms that we use the way that we express ourselves is different and it becomes more challenging when it comes to people whose first language is not English like myself like regardless or no matter how fluent we might think we are we do tend to think differently um, I know that you know it can differ from person to person but for example my first language is Greek, and I find myself many times thinking in Greek and then translating it into English. And sometimes what I say in English might make zero sense. And I'm like, mm-hmm. OK, let me say that again. Let me rephrase. So although, yes, we do see that, um, you know, people do speak English in the Martin Industry. Not everyone has the same level of fluency and not everyone expresses themselves um, in the same way. So, yes, we need to also acknowledge that um, there are language um, challenges and we need to also look into the emotional impact of those challenges like sometimes we do feel more conscious and that might stress that individual more so when they try to express something whether that's because they don't feel very confident in their fluency in English or they don't feel very confident in speaking up in a second language to someone who's more senior than them that can actually create a very big challenge in terms of um, communication amongst um, different nationals so going back to your question Technology will help a lot when we have Mm. um, access to it and translations as well. But we need to raise our, let's say, we need to enhance our intercultural skills so we understand the other people and we also empathize with them. So whether we understand them or not, we need to be able to put ourselves in their position and be more patient, basically.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting what you said about the obviously English being the main kind of language of shipping and and I guess if if that's even back and forth emails between operators Mm. and and the captain and crew, if that's all in English and you've, I don't know, maybe got a a Ukrainian uh, captain or something and maybe not speak English and stuff, it must be very tricky at at times. So,
1: yeah,
0: I guess you have good translation tools there or, or maybe investment in, in, in spending time on, in, Uh, educating them in certain languages and things perhaps yeah
1: Um, and actually now that you're mentioning for the email writing this is actually a project that i uh, i partnered with a company in cyprus with so we developed a course uh, that went in their um, learning management system and was uh, professional email writing for seafarers because that was a need that we identified within the organization and we saw that Things, again, that we might take for granted, like people who are used to using email in their daily communication, um, may not be something that, let's say, seafarers are familiar with. So we had to create something that would be simple enough that they could put it into action. And if we take into consideration the cultural aspect of email writing, we are able to notice differences in the way that we communicate in our emails depending on where we come from so for example and that's something a common challenge that is being reported to me when i'm talking with stakeholders for example let's take the two cultures that i belong to the greeks and the filipinos like greeks might tell me you know what Uh, first of all greeks write really long emails so sometimes in english they do not make sense so we need to put full stops and separate those sentences that we we elongate a lot Um, so one of the main challenges For email writing is that Greeks might tell me, you know what, we email our Filipino uh, counterparts and we ask them something and it's quite urgent and they do not respond to us. So I need to explain to them, well, it's different communication style. So, for example, Filipinos, if they do not know the answer, they might start trying to find the answer, but they will not communicate that. While Greeks yeah. expect, uh, let's say, an email acknowledging receipt, saying, "Okay, I received that. I don't have the answer yet. Let me look into that, and I'll come back to you." But Filipinos, if they don't have the answer, they just won't respond until they have the answer. So you can see how misunderstandings and miscommunication can happen there, even in the right in the written word.
0: Yeah, no, fascinating. Same in my world. Like, if a, if a client or, or a candidate send you an email and you, you don't know to uh, do the answer you need to sort of at least acknowledge it so that yes. they're not thinking oh well he's not replying i'll go somewhere else or something you never know um so it's, it's really important and and we have we have clients that are all based all around the world and they have different mm. expectations and things so um yeah i can definitely relate to that okay so is there anything that maybe we haven't talked about or discussed uh, on this uh, kind of topic of in uh, of intercultural kind of um, communication between ship and shore that you'd like to sort of add in or, or do you feel like we've covered uh, most of the the areas you want to discuss
1: um good question um i think it's important to to mention the need to of understanding how different cultures also behave so when we're talking about intercultural skills it's not just the theory it's not just how we communicate how we talk to each other but it's also how we behave because sometimes um, we can create let's say that environment that we want to belong to with our actions so if someone is fluent or maybe in some cases they're not fluent in english their actions will speak more than their words right so we need to be able to also educate our teams and ourselves on what is considered respectful behavior within a specific culture right um i'll mention again another example from my two cultures the greeks and the filipinos so what is right is completely subjective and it really depends on what we have been taught by our culture. So let's talk about eye contact. In Greece, we do maintain eye contact. This is what is considered to be respectful. So when someone, especially at work, talks to us, and especially when they're more senior than us, we need to be able to maintain eye contact because that shows that we respect them, we are listening to them, we are paying attention. Now, the opposite happens in the Philippines where eye contact or long eye contact is not something that is encouraged and i noticed that a couple of years ago when i went to manila for a conference um, uh, the crew connect conference in manila and i was talking to some filipinos and they were actually not looking at me so they were close to me because their uh, let's say their personal space is uh, smaller in general so they were Close to me, but what they were doing was that they were looking at the floor, but they were pointing their ear towards me. So, for them, that is how they showed me that they were paying attention to me, but they were also respectful at the same time by not looking in my eyes all the time, but also actually looking down and Putting their ear towards me, so it's a completely different, let's say, expectation of what is considered respectful. So, if for example, that makes sense. Issue- yeah, it makes sense yeah, so for their I sh- culture, right?
0: Yeah, I'm just going to say because because I have um, so Mika in my team. She's in the Philippines, and, and mm-hmm. uh, we've she's been working with us for nearly two years now. And we've had three different people based in the Philippines working for us on our kind of executive search type of projects. And now it makes sense why well, they maybe wouldn't look at me. So <laughs> I, thought I was just <laughs> scaring them or something. But um, no, that, that it's that a makes sign sense. of
1: respect That's... there. So okay, what is uh, considered right in its culture is completely subjective. So we need to be aware of these differences as well. It's not just the theory that you, one may read about, let's say Greeks or uh, British people or Filipinos. It's not just that. It's about really understanding. Okay how should i adjust my communication and my behavior in order to be appropriate in a different cultural context
0: Hmm. yeah and i guess it's learning those different differences between cultures and things and i guess when you're in business and things you you get that from experience or, or, or reading and things so it's uh yeah, something I'm doing as well all the time, trying to kind of keep an eye out. Different managers like different things from in different countries and their sense of humor is very different and
1: everything. Absolutely. So you, you try and adapt. Absolutely. Um,
0: good. All right. Well, thank you so much, Kate. This, this has really been, uh, yeah, definitely a discussion I want to kind of listen back to and kind of go into a bit more, um, see, what, see what we can pick up from it. But uh, as far as... On your side, I'd love to learn a bit more about you, kind of what you like to do kind of day in, day out, kind of hobbies-wise, that type of thing, when you're not, I imagine, traveling quite regularly for for the projects you're working on. Um,
1: Okay, so that's the personal side, I would say. (laughs) Um, To be honest, I don't have a lot of free time because I have two young daughters, so they keep me very busy, I must say. So I I do try to work around their schedule. Also, my husband's schedule um, involves a lot of traveling, so that's... um, that means that I need to accommodate for everyone's needs, so, so for all the four of us. Um, so, in general, what I tend to do is, um, uh, of course, one of my one big portion of my day is work. That's uh, in the morning, but I really love reading. So when I have some time, whether that's in the evening or whether that's in the morning, if I don't have, let's say, a call or a delivery, I do find myself reading all the time. And actually every single year I say, okay, I'm not going to do anything, anything new this year. I'm not going to find a new training, but I do end up enrolling in a training every single year. Um, So uh, right now, I'm completing a certificate uh, for uh, global dexterity, which basically enables us to help our clients adjust their, let's say, behavior in different cultural contexts and so for specific um, situations, but without losing their themselves. So I think that's very important because I also faced that uh, when I moved to England, that I, I found myself that I had to adopt I had to adapt and adjust more, uh, but I felt a little bit resentful, like why do I have to change who I am and pretend that I am something different than uh, than I truly am? So this training program enables us to have the tools, again, and the knowledge on doing that. So I would consider that as part of my hobbies, although I do try to to stop it, you know, Um, ah, in the end, it it serves me well. yeah, so if I'm not busy with the kids and with delivery, I do find myself reading a lot. And something that um, I try to be consistent with is working out. I, I I see a big difference in physically and mentally when I am consistent with going to the gym, with my appointments <laughs> with the gym. <laughs> Good. No,
0: well, it's great. I mean, you obviously have lots of projects on the go, and and I'm I'm kind of similar. I I struggle. To focus sometimes you have all these different ideas and oh, projects yes. you think well really should be just putting my time into that maybe leave that one for a little bit and with I've got two kids and three dogs and it's just uh yeah, you, time is just non-existent unless you <laughs> carv, kind of carve it out so I understand so it's great that you, you you're managing to keep keep uh yeah on the healthy side and things as well so it's really good
1: I need to um, keep up with them they're so fast they're so active I'm like I need to keep yeah. my game up yeah <laughs> Excellent. Good.
0: Well, th- well, thank you so much for, for coming on the show today. really, really enjoyed this conversation. And um, of course, if someone wants to learn a bit more about obviously your, your views and uh, your courses or, or just to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do so?
1: LinkedIn, definitely. You will always find yeah. me on LinkedIn. So that's my main platform. Um, mm-hmm. um, it's always updated. So if I have a new project or anything new that I would like to share with uh, within the, the industry, it's always LinkedIn. Um, so they can find me with my name Kate Bolano it's quite straightforward and all the the news that I have there or all the announcements will be there so thank you so much for having me as well it has been a pleasure